0: Gospel chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 8 through to verse 10, which is the story of the angelic appearance to the shepherds and the message that God gave them. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, joyfully glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them." We've been singing tonight, one of those beautiful carols, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I'll ask the question tonight, is it appropriate for us to sing that next bit, How Still We See Thee Lie? If you were to go to Bethlehem tonight, you would see uniformed soldiers, a military tower, floodlights and a high wall making it impossible even for local christians to visit jerusalem without a permit bethlehem tonight is a place of tension where there's almost daily scuffles and clashes between soldiers and groups of local people people being injured and five have died since september this wall is called a wall of separation. I wonder if you know about it. The West Bank barrier of separation. If you think about the big Berlin Wall that came down in the eighteen, nineteen, 96 miles long but this wall, in what many people call the Holy Land, will stretch four times longer when it's completed It's a wall that separates the West Bank, including Bethlehem, from the municipal boundary of Jerusalem. And the gate of that wall is opened just once a year today. When the patriarch of Jerusalem makes a nativity uh, procession, from Jerusalem, just a few kilometers south, going through the wall to celebrate the birth of Jesus at the Church of Nativity in Bethlehem, the place where people say precisely Jesus was born. This is a wall of separation. It is also a wall of enmity, a wall of enmity between two peoples, the Arabs. And the Jews. And this wall is such an offense, it is security for Israel, but it is a symbol of occupation to Palestinians. And it's used, therefore, in a derogatory term, the wall of apartheid. It's into this current situation that we want to read the story that we've just been listening to, where God revealed Himself through the angels and gave the message of Christmas to those early Christmas witnesses, the shepherds. Extraordinary that they should be given the privilege of witnessing this angelic manifestation and to receive this message so they could forever and a day have something to talk about and their campfires and wherever they go, even Jerusalem, as far as we know, they were looking after the sheep who would later on be sold and taken to Jerusalem to be sacrificed in the temple. But I put it to you that it's a very strange choice to choose shepherds. I think by now we've understood the Christmas story isn't about God revealing Himself to the rich and the wealthy, the powerful and influential. God comes to a humble maiden Jewish woman, married to a humble man or betrothed to a humble man. In hearing about that humility and the Christ child comes into this world in all humility speaking of the fact that God's kingdom comes through humble hearts and to humble hearts. So we understand that it's not the rich and powerful who are going to be in the know. And that's extraordinary to me and I think it's, it sounds such a clear note of what the kingdom of God is all about. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many rich, not many powerful are called. In fact, the Bible says, the rich has he sent away empty. But the humble poor believe. Tonight, here we are. We, have, we are witnessing something to the eyes of faith as clearly visible as it was. In those gentle slopes just outside of Bethlehem, the very place where David had nurtured his sheep. These other shepherds stood. So out to today, tonight, all, all over the world, whether it is different parts of Britain and Europe, there are people who think they know. Even religious leaders, even so-called Christian religious leaders who are ignorant of the humility of having Christ on the inside. Rich and powerful business people, entrepreneurs, political leaders, but tonight as we humble our hearts we see Him afresh. But it was a strange choice for other reasons, not just the humility of the shepherds, but But they were highly disrespected members of society. In fact, you'd go to the lowest of the low and then some and then you'd find the shepherds. They had such a bad reputation. It was said of them, they don't know the difference between thine and mine. In other words, they were thieves. That was the reputation. Of course, they weren't all like that, but that was the kind of reputation. Dishonest. So dishonest and untrusted they were that they were not allowed to give evidence in court. And yet these are the people called by God to give evidence of this angelic appearance and the gospel proclaimed from heaven that today in the city of David a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. Thank God we understand the humility of it. At least we begin to. We understand also that these shepherds somehow were prophetic people looking for Messiah probably And also, being in the very fields where David, centuries before, had nurtured his sheep. And God said, David shall be a shepherd king. Also, as I mentioned earlier, the sheep nurtured here were probably taken to Jerusalem and and used in the temple for sacrifices. So, this speaks so eloquently of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was to take away the sins of the world. But I think a strong underlying reason why God chose the shepherds was that you and I would know that this is not an invented story. If I was to invent a story, I would choose in my story some reliable witnesses. I wouldn't choose shepherds or women. Oh, in this generation, oh, no, 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 don't, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> but it was the women who rec- witnessed who the resurrection of Jesus. A- and their testimony was not as valuable as that of a man in those days. Thank God Jesus changed a whole lot after all of that. So, two unreliable witnesses, shepherds for the birth of Jesus and, uh, 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 and um, women for the resurrection. So God he would never invent a story that way. You would make sure that there was some citizen of, of renown and repute who witnessed it. Well, if he saw it and he says it, it must be true. So this shows that these are historical facts and we take them or leave them as they are. But I'm interested in what was witnessed. What was witnessed here, um, uh, above everything else, was the, was the glory of God. And I want, I want you to think about this for, for a while. I mean, when you read the story, we're so familiar with it that we take the whole story and put it into the other realm, the realm of the religious and the spiritual. But actually, there is a big mixture of the two. And the story is told with such detail, such reserve, and if you go to equivalent writings from other religions where they talk about all kinds of fanciful things happening, the stories are so embellished, but this is not... or. or, uh, embellished in any way at all but there is something startling and supernatural at the heart of it. The angels, the shepherds are there looking after their sheep, probably telling stories and, and like, like, like they do without suspecting anything, not knowing what was happening. just a few meters or oh, a couple of kilometers at the most from where, where they were. No idea and then an angel appears. A pause there for a moment. You and I know the, the story so well that an angel appears and we say, yeah, yeah, we know what's happening next. And we've heard a lot about angels this Christmas time. But when the shepherds saw the angel, they were terrified. I don't know if you've been around charismatic circles as long as I have. Today, I, I, I'm celebrating my 44th birthday. Yes. You don't quite know what to make of that. You say, I thought the guy looked. Yes, I was 18 years of age when I found Jesus on December the 24th, 1971. So if you've been around as so long as I've been around, you, you've met some people who've seen some angels. I mean, some people have seen more angels before breakfast than, than the whole Bible has from Genesis through Revelation. And you can always tell when it's not a genuine story. Yeah, I saw you, I saw two. You saw two? I saw three. What were they doing? They were dancing around my car, were they? And uh, what happened when you were breathalyzed? What was the result of that breath test? I myself have been conscious of angelic ministry and angelic presence, but I've never seen one with my physical eyes. But I know somebody who has, and I believe the story, because you can't talk about it. Tell me about it. Well, it's, I find it quite hard to talk about. Tell me, what was it like? Struggles to talk about it. He said, it was just so awesome. He said, this, this angelic being stood before him. And, and, and it was like I just sensed the atmosphere of heaven. Of heaven. And I fell, I fell right down on my face. And the angel said, I'm a servant just like you. Get up. I'm not going to go on with that story. It's not my story. It's somebody else's story. It may not impress you. I just want to say a story impressed me. Because he spoke about being terrified. Because when you meet something from the other world, the world of spirit, the world of God, pow! it, it suddenly makes you realize that this world that we see and touch is not all that there is. And in fact, the world that we do not see... Is the world of angelic beings, the spiritual realm, and the spiritual world reminds us of the fact that it's not going to keep on going like this forever, just because we don't see the spiritual world through our natural eyes, it doesn't mean to say it doesn't exist, it isn't important, and you should pay attention to the God who created both the heavenly realms and the physical realm. So there is this otherworldly intervention. And the angel says, "Don't, don't, don't be afraid. Do not fear. I've come to bring good tidings of great joy for all the people. And it's that verse which is coming in a moment. Talking about that joy. Verse 11. Great joy for all people. Verse 11. Luke 2. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is... Christ the Lord. And then there's a sign that they'd be able to recognize Him. The baby lying in the manger. A great, good news, great joy for all the people. A Savior is coming. A Deliverer is coming. Christ the Lord. Now it starts to get very dangerous. A Savior is coming. They're talking to Jewish shepherds under Roman occupation. God is coming to rescue you. He's sending you a savior. He's sending you a deliverer. And his name is Christ, the Messiah, who is also the Lord. Now, those are fighting words. That's not something you want to keep quiet about. You wouldn't want to go shouting about that in Jerusalem. You say, shh, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. Yet, yeah, what have you killed? And in fact, it was. when when, when they confessed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord, they were running right against the opinion and and in fact the facts of the imperial role, uh, uh, imperial uh, empire, the imperial world, where Caesar was Lord. And now they're worshipping Jesus as Lord. I tell you, it had to be an angel to convince these people to be that dumb to go around talking like that. It was politically explosive. And when the sign came to identify Christ, they were so happy to go and and, and do it. And so, as soon as they acknowledged that first angel, something else happened. Verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Picture it, one angel. And they're terrified. Now the whole night sky is lit up with a multitude of angels suddenly, just appearing suddenly, as if the realm of the unseen was, was ripped apart so that and that veil was torn apart so it could look right into heaven itself. And now when those angels left, the, the Greek here describes them as gradually disappearing. Oh, look, did you see? I don't know how long it lasted. And then gradually, did it suddenly appear, gradually disappear, so that the shepherds could take it all in. And this is what they were saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's translated in different ways, but it means glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men who are the objects of God's good pleasure. That's the good news. That God is favorably disposed to the nations of the world and the sinners on planet earth, and He has sent a Savior to deliver us all from our sin, that God's plan could be recovered Back to his glorious, pristine condition that God should have a people who know him and love him and he shall dwell in the midst of them. Wow, it's, it's astonishing. But again, it's provocative. Glory to God in the highest. That sounds like good spiritual language. But then on earth, peace. Goodwill towards men. Do you know how dangerous it was to be running around Jerusalem saying, Our Jesus, our Savior, is going to bring peace. There was already an emperor who would said he'd done that. Do you know of the Pax Romana? This is Caesar Augustus, who was the first emperor after Rome was a republic, the first emperor... And through his military might, he brought 200 years of peace to the city of Rome. Now, that meant there was no major battle or war affecting Rome, but there were wars all around as Caesar Augustus extended his empire by conquering territory and defending territory. So there was war all around. But right there in, in, in Rome, there were around 200 years of peace. This is the Pax Romana. So you're saying not only is Caesar not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. You say Caesar hasn't brought peace. There is a peace that cannot be brought from any earthly ruler, any earthly empire, or any earthly experience. There is a peace that can only come from God above. The Prince of Peace. message I want you to take away with you tonight is this. Not only is Jesus the child of peace, but there can be no peace, no real peace, without him who is the Prince of Peace. And so, the challenge is to the whole of the Roman Empire. His little baby is already shaking the world amazing what Caesar Augustus did do. Talk about the glory of God. There was a lot of earthly glory associated with Rome. There were religious connotations. Caesar Augustus was called the Son of God. Did you know that? His... uh, His great uncle on his mother's side was Julius Caesar, who who claimed divine honors. And when Julius Caesar was assassinated, they read his will. And in his will, Gaius Octavius was his adopted son and heir. That's how Augustus became king. So if Caesar, his adopted father, is divine then this makes him the son of the divine. He was also called the chief priest. Can you see how that the devil has counterfeit operations on this planet to take away, uh, draw people's attention away from the glory of Christ? And oh, the glory of Rome, the justice that brought Roman ju- judiciary, Roman judicial system, security, that an army, a standing army They had police force, they had a fire service, prosperity, trade, the roads, travel, communication. This was a counterfeit shalom, peace. But God says, no, 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 don't put your trust in the peace of this world because there is a peace which I give to you which is not of this world. It's a peace that passes understanding. And it's all about the glory of God, not the glory of man. There is a very famous writer from the 18th century, Edward Gibbon, who wrote the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Drawing from his writings, let me just read in his masterwork, Gibbon took as his starting point Rome at the height of its glory. And went from this Capitoline, a hill, which was a symbol of the city's eternal power. And the temple of Jute, Jupiter, a stunning sight. And beneath this temple's gold-plated roof, an immense golden ivory statue of the king of the Roman gods presided over ancient artworks from all around the then known world. But it was the spectacular view from this hill, one of Rome's seven hills, that hypnotized, it says. And from this exalted height, ancient travelers gazed at the rich urban tapestry below. Rome was the largest city in the world, largest city the world had ever seen. Its marble structures, the Greek or, um, orator Aristides, observed in around AD 160, covered the horizon like snow. This is the glory of a human world, a human empire, a human emperor. But the angels came and said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, the real peace is about to begin. It's amazing. The real peace. What kind of peace is this? First of all, it's a vertical peace. We talk about the wall which is dividing our, or separating us from God. The wall of our sin and the enmity. That wall we have built. We need to be reconciled to God. God does not need to be reconciled to us. He loves us already. But there is an attitude in God's heart... a righteous reaction against our sin, and without that sin being removed, we would never have peace with God. But the Bible says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a vertical peace. And we hear His word, goodwill towards men. The gospel is good news, ladies and gentlemen, this Christmas Eve. It's good news. It's time to let our faces know, our faces shine with the glory of God. We've got good news to proclaim. And that good news, if it's it's, uh, hard to find on this planet, well, that's an understatement. But it's not just the good news of people hoping against hope. It is the revelation of God himself saying, I am favorably disposed towards you for the sake of Christ. It's not just a vertical peace. It's also an internal peace. There was a Stoic philosopher of the first century who did a bit of thinking about the Pax Romana, this imperially imposed peace. And he said this, Epictetus was his name, and he said this, while the emperor, very bold words, listen to this, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. I mean, that is insightful. He, he, he is the man who's reputed to have made this saying. If you heard this, I'm sure you've heard, it, heard him say, or heard him on this, or heard somebody say this. It comes from... Epictetus, we have two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much as we can speak. That was supposed to have come from him, a wise man. And he says, the emperor can give you external peace, but the emperor cannot give you the peace of heart, peace from passion, grief, and envy. What about peace from fear, anxiety, and worry? Has that gripped your heart? Oh, when Christ rules over your heart, he gives you peace that the world cannot give. He gives you a peace that passes all understanding. And when that peace keeps your heart and makes you strong, the only thing that you would worry about is that you're not worried. <laughs> but then there's also a deeper peace, another piece of relational peace. This is what... The Bible is on about. That's what God is saying. When I come and reconcile you, take away that wall of division, that wall of enmity between you and me. I, I then break down the wall between people. That's what that Christmas prayer was all about. What we pray for is peace. And when we think now about Bethlehem at this very night, this very moment, I wouldn't be surprised if there's not violence to be reported within a week because it's happening all the time. We are in the heart of the Middle East and we know that world peace is threatened by the problems in the Middle East. We know that. That's newspaper language, we know that. We know that the Jewish-Palestinian problem, the Jewish-Arab problem is a difficult one to solve, that we desperately need peace in the Middle East. So we talk about, first of all, relational peace, living in peace and reconciliation with others. How could we ask the Jews and the Palestinians in Bethlehem, in the, in the Gaza Strip and, and, in, and in the West Bank, and when that big wall is there and those soldiers are there and, and they're killing each other, and how can we ask them to be at peace when you refuse to pick up the phone to your mother and say, Mom, I'm sorry. I just made that up. As an example. But if it, if, if it fits you, then I didn't make it up. It was the Holy Ghost. <laughs> we find it so easy to criticize one another and to, be, to fall out with one another. How can, we, how can we expect there to be world peace when our hearts have enmity one towards another? It's time to bury the hatchet, ladies and gentlemen. Forgiveness. RT is coming soon, and if you don't forgive your enemies and forgive people who have hurt you, I'll get him to preach six months on forgiveness, (laughs) which he could do for totally forgiving others, totally forgiving yourself, and totally forgiving God. Hallelujah. Vertical. Vertical. Internal, relational, and finally global. And this will not happen until the Prince of Peace comes. You don't have to be a biblical a, a prophecy person. You just need to read the newspapers to see that the, the factions and fractions and fissures in the, in the Middle East are a threat to world peace. The Arab Israeli conflict, the violence that is taking place. And how how is this going to happen? You've got to go to the source of the problem. Suppose you had a fever tonight, and the doctor said, you have an infection. That's why you have a fever. Is he just going to say, just go mop your brow? Is he going to give you some medicine to take away the infection? So what we see in the Middle East with the difficult relationships between Jews and Arabs... The symptoms are in the social injustice, the political injustice, the security situation, the occupation situation. But you've got to go deeper to find out what the real source of enmity is. And I expose all of this so we can pray for Israel, we can pray for the Middle East, and we can pray for peace. But let me tell you, there's going to be no real lasting peace until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, returns. Why is it? What's the source of this enmity? Why is that wall there? Is it about occupation? Or is it about security? No, it is a living, physical representation of a division that goes way back to the 7th century with the rise of Muhammad and the writing of the Koran. Let me just give you one quote to show you only Jesus is the answer. We have rejected you, and there has started between us and you Jews hostility and hatred forever, until you believe in Allah alone. The root cause is spiritual. And it's only Jesus who can take Arab and Jew and say to the Jews, "I am your Messiah." And say to the Arabs, you have been misled. I really am the son of God who died for you. Amen and amen. There can be no peace without he who is the prince of peace. So vertically, are you right with God tonight? That's a big question. Horizontally, are there people around you that you need to get right with? Apologize to? Pray and bless. Is there stuff happening in your heart? You say, God, I want your peace to rule and reign in my heart. What did Jesus say? He said, peace I give you. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Supernatural peace in your heart. And we can pray in that Christmas prayer for global peace because we know it is coming. Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7 say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. Now hear this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So when the angel declared, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill towards men, and two thousand years later, in that very spot, there is anything but peace, Know that first of all, it's established vertically. Then it's established internally. Then it's established relationally. But finally, it will be established globally when Jesus Christ shall return to establish his rule and reign of righteousness and justice and peace forever and ever. Amen and amen. Give Jesus a big praise. God bless you.